You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. Today's message opens in Proverbs 29:18. Where there is no prophetic vision. We'll just stop there. Where there is no prophetic vision. Well, what does this mean? What does the phrase prophetic vision mean? Well, before the Bible was written, God often spoke through prophets, people like Samuel, Isaiah, all over. And the people would know that God was speaking to them by speaking through a prophet. The prophet would say whatever was supposed to be said. It's not always about the future, right? It was about whatever God was saying to them. And that would give the people kind of this orientation. This is what we need to be about. You might even say Moses was the original prophet as he heard the voice of the Lord thundering on Mount Sinai and he got the Ten Commandments and he brings them down and the people go, ah, this is the prophetic vision. Now, we come to know it today as this is how most of the Old Testament gets written. So what is prophetic vision for us today on the other side of Jesus, on the other side of the New Testament and no longer in the age of the Proverbs being written by King Solomon What is prophetic vision for us? It's the proclamation of Jesus from all the scriptures. Jesus said in our John 5 reading, hey, you you diligently search the scriptures. And Jesus is saying, the whole Old Testament, the whole Bible is about me, is what he says in John 5. He says it in Luke 24. He says, the whole Bible is about me. If you're talking about the Bible and you're not talking about me, you're not talking about the Bible properly. That is prophetic vision today. Prophetic vision is the proclamation of Jesus from all of the scriptures. And so at Church of the Redeemer, vision today signifies for us the public leadership of the people of God leading the people into the finished work of Jesus, his perfect life, death, and resurrection. This leads directly to two of our church's values, the first of which is gospel immersed. Gospel immersed. We do not want to proclaim ourselves, but the finished work of Jesus his perfect life, death, and resurrection. That is the true prophetic vision. We want to preach about him in every sermon. We want to point to him for all of our lives. We want our small groups to be oriented around Jesus. If you came and see me for counseling, I'll be talking about Jesus. Our whole worship is oriented around Jesus. Even the very organization and pattern and structure is organized around Jesus. We want everything to be immersed in Jesus. We don't just want to say that the gospel is the entry point into the Christian life. We don't just want to say that it's the beginning. We don't just want to say we're focused on the gospel. We want to say we're immersed in it. The gospel is not just the appetizer. It's the feast. The gospel is not just the trailhead. It's the whole woods. The gospel is not just the opening act. It's the whole concert. We want to be immersed in Jesus. Now then, by implication, you can't immerse yourself in something you're only kind of halfway doing once or twice a month. Sure, you could spend time with Jesus in your own private devotional practices, but a private immersion isn't really a full immersion, is it? You need to hear the word of Jesus proclaimed over you and through you on a weekly basis. You need communion on a weekly basis, washing through you to truly be immersed. You can dip your toes in the water with podcasts and Christian books and Bible studies, but you can't be immersed unless you're being washed with Jesus every week. So being gospel immersed is one implication of our church as a proclaimer. 
one implication of us having a prophetic vision is the prophetic vision is always going to be about Jesus. Now, if we are immersed in him, we also believe that leads naturally to a second value, multiplying, multiplying, the second value in the life of the church. If we immerse you in Jesus and you desire to be immersed in him yourself, you will just naturally share about him in your life, whom, with whomever you are with, in word and deed, not just in words, not just in deeds, but in word and deed, with Christians and non-Christians, we believe the effect of that will be that the name of Jesus is multiplied in the world. The message of Jesus is multiplying. When we talk about multiplying, we don't just necessarily, and really, we don't really mean multiplying Church of the Redeemer, although we do want to start other churches like we are with Matt Cohn in Atlanta. We're talking about multiplying the message of Jesus, not the message of Dave Strunk, not the name of Dave Strunk, not the name of Church of the Redeemer, the name of Jesus. In addition to the natural, or you might say spontaneous multiplication that happens through you in your everyday lives, we do want to plan for this multiplication too. This is why we have partnerships here in America and abroad where we dedicate a portion of our budget to partner ministries that are sharing Jesus in word and deed. So we do that locally. And we do it abroad, particularly with refugee and church planning efforts in Europe and the Middle East and North Africa. That's kind of our focus. We've done that with a lot of the savings in the life of the church because many of you have been so generous. We've had budget surpluses in every year in the life of the church, and so we just give it away. We're not just stashing it away for ourselves. We want to plan for multiplying the name of Jesus too. The prophetic vision of Church of the Redeemer is to proclaim Jesus from the scriptures, from all the scriptures, and immerse you in him so that you will just naturally multiply him and we will plan for that multiplication. That is our church as a proclaimer. Proclaimer. Now what about Church of the Redeemer as a people? Church of the Redeemer as a people. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen continues. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people, dot, 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 now, the proverb here concludes with an individual person who may be blessed if they follow the law. That is, the Old Testament moral law, which is still in effect today. We're still supposed to honor God and honor the Sabbath and honor our father and mother and not commit murder. Those things are still in existence. So blessed is that individual. But for a people to really be a people and not just a collection of individuals, we need a unifying external. We need a prophetic vision. We need something that helps us to become a people, something that we look to and say, that's who we are. Years ago, I listened to the podcast called Dolly Parton's America, done by the people at WNYC. This is important because these are not Southerners. They're New Yorkers. And the producer of the show went to a Dolly concert in Queens, and what he found there shocked him. He saw conservative Christians singing Dolly songs right beside feminists. He saw folks who were truckers singing right beside folks in the LGBT community, and he's wondering, something, Dolly's got something figured out that the rest of America doesn't have figured out, and all of his preconceived notions of our political divisions were erased that day. So he, he pursued Dolly for a while until he could get her on the record for nine whole podcast episodes 
along with tracing her whole history. What is it about Dolly that can unify so many people? You see, those people, if they stared at themselves, you and me, if we stared at ourselves and looked in and talked about how special we were, we could never have unity. You need a unifying external to have unity. Something else that you go, ah, that's who we are. That thing helps us become an us. And as much as I can appreciate Dolly, Dolly's only able to do it for a few hours at a concert. We need a common story. We need a prophetic vision that helps a people become a people and not just a collection of individuals, something that makes us permanently a people. And that is what we mean by our third value, unifying, unifying. It's written as an I-N-G word because it's aspirational. We're not saying we've accomplished unity but we want to be a unifying people. We want to rally around the finished work of Jesus as our unifying external, and we believe it is Jesus that will then naturally tear down divisions between ages, between ethnicities, between class divisions. We don't believe it has been completely accomplished yet, but we know at the end of time it will be. In Revelation, it says every tribe, nation, tongue, and language will be rallied around Jesus, the true unifying external. And by the way, what looks a lot like a concert. If all of us are sinners at the foot of the cross and each of us can be forgiven by Jesus, then none of us have a reason to erect any barrier between us and someone else. And that's why Church of the Redeemer wants to be unifying. We want to unify around Jesus. It seems like such a simple thing. It seems like, well, like just like, of course. It's very hard to do. Now, finally, let's look at our church as a jig. We've seen how Church of the Redeemer, we try to be a proclaimer. We are a people, and we are a jig. More on that in just a second. The phrasing in Proverbs 29:18 continues one step farther. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. The writer of Proverbs is telling us that where there's not the unity of God's story, then the people don't really gather and really become a people. And they, anything that would keep them from being a people is now gone to the winds and there is no longer a people. They have cast off restraint. As the book of Judges says often, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you can't really sustain a people if everybody is going their own way. That word restraint is illuminating then because the assumption of the proverb is also the reverse. If there is a prophetic vision, then that will kind of be its own form of internal restraint. It'll be its own form of the people kind of staying in the right rut. To stay in the right groove is a better word. And I don't think of this as a form of oppressive rule following. Rather here, I think this carries with it the connotation of a jig. Now folks who work with wood know what a jig is. It's a kind of wooden pattern, or it could be built of other material too, that you build as a pattern so you can make the same cut over and over and over again. So instead of saying, I got to measure for the hole here, two inches in, um, one inch depth, and, and then I got to do it again with the next board, you could build a jig that builds that automatic pattern of two inches wide, one inch deep, and then you just put it on board after board, and then you just make your cut, make your cut, make your cut. A jig. Many of you are school teachers or work in education, so you know that oftentimes you're cutting construction paper or your TA's con cutting construction paper, so they build a pattern, something that they can just 
use this pattern on top of the construction paper to make the same cuts over and over and over again. A pattern is like a construction paper version of a jig. And I'm arguing that a true church community at its best forms a positive kind of restraint in your life, kind of like a jig. Where there is prophetic vision, the church acts like a jig, is what I'm saying. Let me give you an example of what I mean in real life. A month ago, I was listening to another podcast called The Happiness Lab. I know you're thinking, Dave, talking a lot about podcasts today, which is kind of true. I don't usually do that. But hey, this was a good example. The podcast is called The Happiness Lab, and they began ruminating upon the upcoming holidays, and they were asking the question, what kind of break from the normal helps people to truly feel rested? In study after study after study, they noted that Americans are notoriously bad at this, maybe the worst in human history. So many Americans can't even afford to take a vacation, and so they are just tired and exhausted all the time. And even for the Americans that can't afford to take a vacation or work for an employer who will give them the vacation, they never take all the vacation they're earned. So Americans are notoriously bad at vacation and, or just any kind of rest or time off, and so all these studies say Americans are exhausted. That's, if you ask somebody how they're really doing and you get a real answer, that's gonna be in the answer usually a little bit, almost universally. I'm just a little tired, I'm a little exhausted because we're not very good at taking rest. Now, then the Happiness Lab elaborated upon the principle of everyone needing rest by looking at an example of the Soviet Union. So back in the late 1920s, the Soviet Union was trying to industrialize. They realized they were behind all these Western economies, but because they had become communists, they thought, man, we gotta catch up. We gotta prove that communism is better for industrial production than Western capitalism. And so they started making their factories work seven days a week in order to try to catch up. Now, one caveat here is they knew that people still needed time off. If people were gonna be productive, Soviet Union still said, oh, everybody needs their day off. You gotta have one day off a week, at least. And so what they did was in making a mandatory seven-day schedule for the factories to be open, they gave everybody the same day off for an individual. So a father in a family might get Friday off, a mother in the family might get Thursday off, the oldest son of a family might get Tuesday off, but everybody got one day off a week, there was just one problem. They didn't get the same day off in a given family. And after a few years of trying this into the early 1930s, the Soviet Union had to admit this was a failed experiment and they stopped doing it. Why? Because the people were miserable. And because the people were miserable, productivity went way down. And the people were miserable because, yeah, they still got their day off, but they didn't get to spend it with anyone they loved. And the Happiness Lab then used that historical example to look at all these other studies which said people don't just need individual rest to be happy. They don't just need one day off a week to feel truly rested. They don't just need one month off a year in vacation to truly feel rested. They need to rest when everyone else is resting. If you take two weeks off in September and you come back to work, chances are probably, if you're in any kind of, I would say, especially a white collar job, you are getting texts or emails while you were away. And you're probably hard because we can't really put an automatic text reply to people, which by the way, if you're in technology, invent that for us. When someone texts me, I wanna not answer. Oh, when I'm on vacation, so I just need this automatic reply, hey, I will not be answering. Maybe it already exists and I'm just stupid, I don't know. If you do that for two weeks in September, 
you're going to be coming back and you're not going to be feeling rested because you're going to have this mountain of work and the expectation of everything when you were gone is still going to let you meet it. And so you're going to come back and have to work twice as hard just to make everything up. But let's say your whole office pretty much takes off the week between Christmas and New Year's. You rest when everybody else is resting and you feel way more rested. And Happiness Lab said, see, we don't just need one day off a week. We don't just need one month off a year. We need to rest when everyone else is resting. Listening to the podcast was interesting as a Christian because the hosts had no religious grammar to understand that what they were arguing for was the Christian vision of rest. They never even said, you know, this is kind of what the Old Testament's about. All these feasts and calendars and, uh, oh, you know, like one day off a week. Where have I heard that before? Oh yeah, right, the fourth commandment. Oh, uh, doing it all together? Sundays? Doing it all together? The Christian calendar? Lent and Advent, Christmas, Easter. The irony is we used to have all these blue laws, laws keeping businesses closed on Sundays. And Americans increasingly over the last 50 years thought, well, those are oppressive. Those don't allow people to be truly free. We need to let people do whatever they want. And now the fruit of that is an entirely exhausted culture because where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint and are apparently exhausted all the time. Do you see then that the church can act like a positive jig? A positive pattern that aligns you better with Jesus. And this leads to our final two values. The fourth value is to be connected. If all you do is come to church and you don't actually get to know people with any depth, then they can't act like a hard edge in your life. Another phrase Proverbs would use, iron sharpening iron, or as I'm proposing, a jig forming you in Jesus. You need to kind of rub with people and you have to know them deeply. You have to share your deepest life joys. You have to share your deepest life sadnesses, fears, sins, and then there'll be conflict. You'll actually start rubbing on each other a little bit like you do with the closest people in your life. But that will be the jig you need. You need to be in some kind of community in our church. It might be a small group. It might be a men's or women's group. Uh, You need something like that to get to know people more deeply, to truly be connected, to truly be seen. And then the final value, from connected to depth, depth. By this I mean, we're not just gonna give you the McNuggets of the spiritual life. We wanna, Lord help me, we do not need more Christian spiritual content producers. I'm probably not a surprise to you if you've been at our church for any while, but I, I think if you're trying to follow your Christian influencer people on social media, you're becoming less deep. You're becoming less a follower of Jesus because you're more hooked in to having to always be in the notification. You're more hooked in to the constant stimulation. More spiritual content will not make you deeper in Christ. More silence will. More spiritual disciplines will. That's why we do a spiritual disciplines workshop. It's been, probably this is the weakest value in our church, by the way, in my opinion. Very few people actually want to take the time to go deep with the Lord to know the church's history. This is why we sing old songs and new songs. We do not need more spiritual McNuggets. This is why I'm always imploring you, get off cable news, get off social media. All of those things make you into a darker person. Go deep with the Lord. 
We'll be offering a rule of life workshop at some point this year. That's another way to go deep with the Lord. And by doing that, we try to be a jig for you, which hopefully will help pattern you into a more connected and deeper person. Yes, this will be slow work. Uh, That's probably why deep is so hard. And by the way, becoming a deep person doesn't mean like, therefore, I think I'm better than the shallower Christians. Actually, it'll mean the opposite. Going deep with the Lord is going deep in humility. Going deep in, man, I'm just such a sinner. I need to be more gospel immersed. That is depth. And it'll happen slowly. So those are the values that animate Church of the Redeemer. Let me repeat all five. Gospel immersed, multiplying, unifying, connected, and depth. Gospel immersed, multiplying, unifying, connected, depth. Of course, as I started with the example of my youth pastor, if you believe in what we're doing at all as a church, then I hope that means you'll buy in in some kind of way. Of course, you may buy in more with your time. If what you have to give is your time, then I hope you buy in in that way. Some of you, many of you are already bought in with your time. One of the things, church planners, other church planners always ask me, well, how were you able to grow so quickly and to scale what you did so quickly? I said, oh, we have a secret weapon. It was our retirees. People who had the time to give, you all who had the time to give and gave of your time. God bless you. Some of you may buy in more with your financial generosity as that's what you have to give. And I hope you do. Truth is, there's a lot of people who've been at Church of the Redeemer for a long time who give no money to our church. And if you're a vi- visitor this morning, let me tell you, the folks here would tell you, I almost never talk about money, so this is a, this is a random one-off. I'm talking about the spiritual principle of I'm bought in, therefore I'm gonna prove it wh- if I can afford it to give. Some of you that don't give can't afford it, and I'm not talking about you. You know who you are. If you have the financial generosity to give and you're bought into the Church of the Redeemer, please do so. You may buy in more with your abilities too, as that's what you have to give. Maybe there's some skill the church needs that you have, and we need to use it. I hope that you will find a way to be bought in, because if you believe that's who we are, and these values are values that you want to see in a church as well, I hope you buy in in some kind of way or some variation of all of those things. But of course, I can't end there. Can I? Motivation by guilt never sustains, and I don't want you to feel guilty. I'm just talking about, do you believe in this? Then if you do, then you'll naturally get behind it. I want you to see that it was Jesus' idea to set up an imperfect church. And what's the, one of the most predominant metaphors in the New Testament for what Jesus' church is? It's his body. And what happened to Jesus' body? It got a crown of thorns. It got nails through its hands and feet and suffocated to death on a cross for you. The privilege is that Jesus' church then would get to be called his body because we too have scars, don't we? We too suffer in lots of different ways so that we might be a people who are immersed in his story, in his body, who multiply that story, who unify and connect with each other from that story and find depth in that story. That is our prophetic vision. And where there is prophetic vision, we will be a people. We will have a jig in our lives and we will get to follow Jesus and be immersed in him. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, 
we just we cast about as the church, not always knowing what to do, but Jesus is the head of the church. And so we would pray that he would be the head and we would know it. That we could just be maybe a little more in 2024 who we're supposed to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.